Please grab a seat. <clears throat> I feel like every time I get up here after Sam, he's got a new, new, a new nickname for me. Today, I'm Uncle. I'll, uh, I'll take that. Am I an uncle yet? Yeah, I've got some nieces and nephews, don't I? Yeah, I couldn't remember their names off the top of my head, but yeah, they're cool. They're cool. I <laughs> Tell me about it, right? I... I've actually, I'll, I'll reference this in a few minutes, but I feel like I'm such a single tasker as a man. Like if I'm, I'm in one frame of, frame of mind and if all of a sudden the topic changes, it literally, you can see the cogs ticking over in my brain. It takes me like 30 seconds to reboot. So all of a sudden I start thinking about nieces and nephews and I've just got to wait. It's like any moment it's going to click, click. Okay, yeah, I've got, I've got a few of them. Uh, <laughs> I feel like we're all a bit, a bit stiff this morning, you know. I feel like we need to limber up a little bit. Why don't you stand? Come on, church is fun, yeah? Come on, have a stretch. I should get my wife up here for this. This is what she does professionally. Shake the person at hand that's standing next to you. Give them a high five. If you don't know the person next to you, introduce yourself. Tell them your name. Come on, the opportunity. Grab a seat. Come on, this is family, right? Uh, I actually feel like, for me, it's been quite a surreal uh, week. I don't know if anybody else has experienced this in the last few days, but when you think about the future, you always think that things happen very slowly, and there are times in life where you realise that change is happening very quickly. I don't know if anyone's realized this. And I actually make a pretty concerted effort to, to sort of disengage uh, from, from media, essentially. So I've got a Facebook account. I think the last time I posted on there was about 2013. Uh, if you send me a message and I don't reply, don't take it personally. It's just because I'm a little bit disengaged from, from social media. Uh, I don't really watch free-to-air TV unless there's like sports or something on that I want to watch because I generally find it a bit overwhelming. And so this week, I just sort of was a little bit disengaged and I just thought a little bit about what's going on in our country and there's a lot going on, if you haven't realised. And I actually, one of my values or one of the things that I aim to do is not to respond to a situation. So if my kids are playing up, which they're young, so that's pretty regularly, uh, I'm trying to train myself to not respond to how my kids are acting. And I do the same thing spiritually. So when there's stuff going on in our country, I actually make an effort to not respond to a situation. But instead, I try and respond to what the Holy Spirit is doing. So I had a, a bit of a moment this week. I was, uh, I was having a lunch break. I, I was really busy this week with work. And I, I took, I'm like, I'm actually going to have lunch today. And I sat down and I just kind of tuned out and sort of thought, what's actually going on? Because I feel like it's been so bombarded by media and by everything that's going on. And I actually, God just kind of showed up in my, in my office. And uh, this isn't my message, by the way. I just felt the need to share this with you guys this morning. But I really feel that God said to me, there's so much going on, but the, the pressure, the, the pain in this situation or in this time is not just about what's going on in the world. It's also about what's going on in the church. And I believe that God is starting to reopen 
people's eyes to the things of God. There's actually a passage in, in Acts 2 where Peter is trying to describe the Holy Spirit and, and the Holy Spirit turning up in Acts 2. And he actually uses a passage of old scripture and says, your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. Okay? What's significant about, about an old man dreaming dreams? The significant thing is that they once had dreams and those dreams had died. And yet Peter said, the Holy Spirit will reawaken dreams. And so I feel like in this time, in, in this life that we're living right now, God is starting to reawaken believers in our society. He's starting to challenge people whose maybe their dreams have gone dead to go, it's actually time for you to be a light in the world again. So I believe that God is going to start to make, I believe that God's actually encountering people, believers, to go, you actually were created to make an impact on society. And he's going to start to release dreams. He's going to start to release vision to people that will be passionate about reaching their world. To actually go and be like Jesus was. To heal the sick, to raise the dead, to provide resource for those who are in need and actually deliver that to our society. So I want to pray for you this morning before we get started. Jesus, I thank you for this amazing group of people here this morning that we call the church. And Father, we prophesy that there would be encounters in people across this building and they would start to realize the vision and the future that God has for their life, that they are not victims of this world, but they are powerful and are equipped with the Holy Spirit to do good works in Jesus' name. So we release miracles, we release prophetic insight, we release strength and wisdom into the church this morning in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. Uh, this morning, I want to talk to you guys about perspective. How do you view the world? How, you know, how do you view people? Because I've realized that ultimately your perspective determines your actions. How, how you view people determines how you treat them. How you view the world determines how you respond in a situation. And uh, we've been talking this month about reaching your world, and it occurs to me that if you don't have a perspective which creates value, you will not be motivated to reach or input into society. You actually require a perspective that actually has a value. So perspective creates value to motivate you to do something. We actually need to adopt a perspective that values the world, that values society to motivate us to actually reach it. Okay? So I want to look at this this morning and... The, the question that I ask myself pretty regularly is, can I honestly stand in front of a church full of people and say that I let the teaching of Jesus shape my perspective? Can I honestly stand here and say that I let Scripture and the Word of God shape how I view the world? And I think it's not just the sort of thing that you can get up here once and go, yes, I let Jesus shape how I think, but something that we need to do continually. As in, for the simple reason that you encounter different things in life. Five years ago, I didn't have kids, okay? So I didn't need to have much of a perspective about kids, even though I might have had a little bit. But when you get to that point, you go, I need to understand how God thinks about kids. So I feel like we need to continually be checking and go, does my perspective match up with what Jesus taught, what is in the Word, and what the Holy Spirit is prompting us to do? I actually, 
about four or five years ago, uh, I was at a party. I was at an engagement party. It was a Saturday afternoon, lovely weather on the Sunshine Coast, and uh, I was in the party box, right? My, bra- my kid was running around causing havoc. My wife was off socializing as she does, and I was firmly in the, I was firmly in the party time mode, right? And uh, I was just chatting to this guy. A young couple were Christians, so I assumed that most of the people there by association would probably be Christians, the majority of them, you know? as in the people they know through church, family members, etc. And uh, I got talking to this guy at the party, uh, and he was a scientist. And I actually find science really interesting. I don't know anything, I know nothing about science, right? Don't know anything about it, I never studied it at school, but I find it really interesting. And uh, this guy worked in the field of agriculture, and we were having a really good chat, and it was very, I found it very interesting. And uh, I don't really know how it came up in conversation, but he said to me at one point, he's gone, you know, uh, I believe that God created the world. I just don't believe that he did it in seven days. Now, my brain was in party mode and and it just kind of went straight over my head. And it took about 30 seconds or a minute or so for my brain to actually click in and absorb what this guy said to me. And I said, so you believe that Almighty God created the world, but he didn't do it in seven days. And this guy went on and spoke about how, you know, he thinks maybe it happened over X amount of million years. And we spoke about it for a few minutes and, and, you know, slowly but surely over a few minutes, my brain ticked over into my theology box, okay? And it kind of dawned on me and I said, so you're, you're a Christian, obviously. And he's like, yeah, I'm a Christian. I said, so, you know, you believe the fundamental elements of Christianity. He said, yeah, sure. You know, I said, you, you believe in the Bible? He goes, yeah, I do. And I'm, so I said, so let me get this right. You believe that an almighty God created the world and then after a series of events, he needed to come back to earth. So he supernaturally impregnated a, a young lady and she gave birth to God in the flesh, who was Jesus. Okay. And Jesus grew up Till he was about 30 years of age, and then he started ministering the kingdom where he supernaturally raised the dead. He brought people that were dead back to life, okay? He, he healed incurable diseases, and he made things appear out of nothing. Uh, he was assassinated by the government, but he came back to life three days later, and then he ascended into the clouds uh, to another dimension that we call heaven, and sent a spirit, his Holy Spirit, and when you believed in your conscious mind to follow Jesus, that spirit entered into your spirit, and now you are a new creation. So you believe that, but you're not sure if Jesus created the world in seven days. And he went, well, I'd I'd never really thought about it like that. (laughs) Now, (laughs) like I said earlier, I'm not a scientific guy. I actually don't have an opinion on what he discussed, but my point and we spoke about it, we had a bit of a laugh about it. My point is pretty simple. You have to be open and willing to actually absorb what the Bible says, even if sometimes you maybe don't understand it all. But either the Scripture and what Jesus teaches shifts your perspective, or your perspective shifts what the Bible says. There's only two ways to go about it. And so this morning, uh, very briefly, I just want to outline some of my core values. What are some of the core perspectives that I hold that shift how I think about people and determine how I actually reach my world? Is that good? Uh, The first thing I want to share about is the future. What is your perspective on the future? 
Now, don't go, you know, carving out your alpha or tin hats just yet, all right? I'm, I'm going to try and keep this quite brief. Uh, but what do you actually believe about the future? It, it might seem odd, but for me, it is one of the key things that shifts and shapes perspective for me in life, how I think about my family, how I think about my finances, what I do with my time, what I do with my resources, because I'm thinking about the future. What you believe about the future determines how you'll act in the present. What you believe about the future determines how you will act in the present. Uh, <laughs> I travel a bit for work, okay? Not every week, but normally every few weeks I'm, I'm going to uh, another capital city in Australia. Has anyone ever been in the car with a few guys in a rental vehicle? Just a few of us? For some reason, there is this weird phenomena that takes place when generally men get in a rental car, right? And for some reason, it's like all their Top Gear dreams in life come to fruition, you know? It's like, I've always wondered what would happen to a car if I did this. You know, I've always wondered what, would it, what it would be like if I was to drive this four-wheel drive across that traffic island at 60 kilometers an hour because I've never experienced it before and I'm in a rental car and so I want to try it out. I, I'm not going to go into detail, but I've been in some rental cars when some outlandish things have taken place with guys driving a rental car. You guys are hearing me? Why is that? I'd like to propose it's quite simple. When you've got a rental car for a day and a half... You just give it back when you're done. There's no future. There's no perspective. There's no responsibility. So you just give it back when you're done. It actually doesn't matter. I would, I would never buy a rental car. That's just me personally. But there's no perspective of the future. Why do you do it in a rental car that you wouldn't do it in your own? Well, the answer is quite simple. You're probably going to have your own car for five or ten years. So you view the future differently to one that you've got for a day and a half because all of a sudden it requires you to take responsibility for something that you would otherwise pass away. You were created for eternity. Okay? As confronting as death is as a topic, and recently I've had to... Uh, had a colleague's wife pass away very unexpectedly and so a lot of the office conversation has been about death. Uh, we don't like to talk about it. We are all going to die at some point. Amen. But that's not going to be the end, okay? The Bible's very clear about this. When we die, our spirit is going to live on. You were created by God with that intention, with a spirit and a soul, and when your body passes away, your spirit and soul are going to live on, okay? So all of a sudden, this 60 or, or 60 to 90 years or whatever you're lucky enough to enjoy here on life doesn't become such a big deal, but becomes a small part of the overall picture, okay? You were created for eternity, and yet society wants to just completely take that out of the perspective and go, you're alive for a while, so try and get as much enjoyment into life as you can. And yet, specifically, Jesus did not teach this. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. What's the point? You can invest in life, and you should invest in life. I want to say that clearly. 
you should be investing into your retirement. You should be investing into your children and your grandchildren because that is wise. But Jesus clearly said, one of the most significant aspects of life is to be investing into your eternity, okay? If we live with a perspective that removes eternity, it changes our perspective to just this life. And that is not what you were designed for. You were not created to have such a short-term mindset, but you were determined and created to live for eternity. I believe we should be spending as much time, effort, and enthusiasm into planning and investing for eternity as what we should be into anything else. If I'm not spending as much time and energy and resource and money investing into the kingdom as I am into my children and my superannuation, my perspective has somehow adopted something that Jesus didn't create. And so we need to think about our future. Now, just briefly, uh, when we accept that this world is finite, we start to ask questions about how the world will end, okay? Now, <laughs> I remember watching a documentary when I was like eight or nine years old about, uh, about Armageddon, about the basically, you know, different passages of Revelation. It wasn't a Christian documentary, it was just something randomly, I think maybe like Lois and Clark Kent and Lois or whatever Superman was called in the 90s wasn't on that night and so they ran the Revelation doco, right? And I remember watching it as a kid, and it freaked me out. It proper scared me. Like, probably one of the things that scared me the most. And so, when I was like eight years old, and I saw the storm clouds coming across on our property, I was like, is this it? You know? Is it going to be fire from heaven and stuff like that? But that was actually, I I never really heard anything different. But the truth is, this world is going to end. And as Sam said earlier, Jesus is coming back. Jesus is actually returning in, in a literal sense, okay? I'm, I'm not going to jump into when and how and, and a bunch of the information, but God is coming back, and it is actually going to be the pinnacle of Christian history. It, it is going to be the pinnacle of world history. All of history, all of creation, all of the world is going to reach a crescendo, which is the return of Jesus coming back to the earth, Okay? So if you manage to find a way in your theology or your thinking that removes that out of the picture, you cannot actually have a clear perspective of what Jesus actually taught, okay? One of my favorite passages in the Bible is out of uh, Isaiah chapter 2. So this is Isaiah prophesying about Jesus' return about 500 years before Jesus was actually born, okay? And it says this, It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, come let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that we will teach us his ways, we shall walk in his paths, for out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people, but... They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. I'd like to propose that Jesus is coming back, but it's not going to be doom and gloom like a lot of people have taught over the last 30 years. The Bible's quite clear to say when God returns, these are the conditions that he's going to return to. He's not coming back on a rescue mission. 
He's not coming back to, to say, everything's going to hell and I need to come and save it. He's actually coming back to a church that will distribute authority and provide answers into the world. Okay? It's actually what the Bible teaches. Jesus actually taught this. He actually taught that we should pray like this. Let your kingdom come and let the will of God be done on earth as it is in heaven. It is wrong to accept an eschatology. Eschatology is the study of the end times. It is wrong to adopt an eschatology that somehow promotes earthquakes and violence and wars and famines, okay? But doesn't promote the goodness and the kindness of God and His kingdom being established here. And there's a big difference between the two. If you, do, if you adopt a perspective that the world's going to hell, you don't need to do anything because you're not responsible for it. Okay? It's just a rental car. You can just push it away because you're not responsible for it. God's going to come back on the white horse, which is a literal term. He's going to turn up on a white horse, and He's going to come back and rescue us. So you can absorb yourself of all responsibility. But Jesus didn't teach that. Jesus said, go out and make disciples of the nations. Isaiah 2 sounds like the church making disciples of the nations because it says that the nations of the world will come to the church and say, teach us your ways that we may live in your past. We actually need to adopt an eschatology that creates responsibility in the church for society. Okay? We're not here to live in a perspective that shifts the blame to someone else or to another time. Uh, the second thing I want to look at this morning is people. What is your perspective on people? And this morning I just want to address one thing which for me is, is very critical, and that is how do we view people that are different to us? I don't think there's... I don't think... In terms of how we think about people, there's a more pressing issue in Western society at the moment. There's a lot of issues, but how we think about and how we treat people is of paramount importance in 2017, okay? Because people are looking at the church to go, how does the church treat people? How does the church view society, okay? So I don't think it is the critical, most single, most important issue to the church, but I think from the world's perspective... It's actually really important because people are looking at us to see how we treat people. And that's something they haven't done for, for quite a long time. Uh, it's a big issue in the, in the church right now. Bill Johnson says this, A culture of honour is celebrating who a person is without stumbling over who they're not. Matthew chapter 5 verse 43 uh, Jesus is teaching his disciples and he's responding to a question of how do we view people, okay? Uh, verse 43 starts like this. You've heard it said that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Very, very clear. You have heard it said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Where did they hear that? Now, just, just to put this into context, okay? Jesus is a Jewish man living in a Jewish culture under Roman law, okay? This is the discussion that he's having. And a Jewish person asks him, you know, how do we treat people? And Jesus says, you've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor, as in love our neighbors, but hate your enemy. That actually heard that as a Jewish person in culture, they had actually heard that from the Bible, okay? We go back to 
Leviticus, we go back to Exodus and we start to read what Jesus, sorry, what God had set up in terms of the Jewish nation and your love for God, okay, think of all the stories through the Old Testament, your love for God was determined by your passion to defeat the enemies of the nation of Israel. Do you guys get that? So in the Old Testament, Jesus said, I've created a people and I've created a place for my people. And other people were trying to come and there would be wars and there'd be fights. And your love for God was shown in how passionately you would fight the enemies of Israel. So when Jesus says this, you've heard it said, this was their culture, okay? This was their scripture. This is what they'd actually been teaching. And yet Jesus turns around and he says to them, this is what you've, this is what you've said, this is what you know, but I say to you, love your enemies, completely countercultural. Love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use and persecute you. That's a very different shift in how we think about people. God took a view, Jesus took a view that said, it is okay for you to hate people, and he completely discarded that and said, it's actually only okay for you to love your enemies. Okay? And he goes on and talks about it. For if you, if you love those who love you, then what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. How? By loving those who are different to you. Uh, I have, I just scribbled this down this morning. I have five filters that to run my thinking through on how I view people, okay? Because I feel like for most of my 12 or 15 year experience as a Christian, it's generally, we find a way to make people that are different, to make people outside the church, we find a way to sort of push them away or we find a way to minimize them or in some way dishonor them or what they do or the way they think. So I have five filters five screens that I have to run my thinking through before I approach a situation with another person. The first one is this, uh, you were a sinner. <laughs> well, I was a sinner. Uh, the Bible actually says that I practice sin. Um, I don't want to gloat, but I think I got pretty good at it, you know? Uh, I spent a fair while practicing my sinning, right? It wasn't until I actually turned up to church and had an encounter with God that I actually got saved. So when I view someone that is outside the church, I'm not talking about someone inside, when I view someone that walks through the door for the first time or that I meet on the street, the first thing I have to think is, I was a sinner. I wasn't any different to this person. The only thing that has happened differently between me and this person is I had an encounter with God at some point. Can I provide an encounter with the Holy Spirit for someone else? Number one, you were a sinner. Number two, we were all created in God's image. If we fail to recognize that people outside the church are not created in the image of God, we actually dishonor an element of what God put in that person. If we are going to reach the world, if we are going to honor people, regardless of what decision, decisions that they make, we need to recognize that first and foremost, according to Genesis 1, they were created in the image and the likeness of God. Number three, Jesus taught love and compassion. 
This is clear. I, I, I could spend an hour just trying to pull out the different passages where Jesus taught about love and compassion for people. Uh, Matthew twenty two thirty seven is probably the, one of the most well-known teachings of Jesus. And he said, you shall love your God with all your heart and with all your mind. This is the first great commandment. And the second is like this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said clearly, the two greatest commandments in all the Bible, number one, love God, number two, love people. And he actually finishes that verse and it says that all of the law and the prophets hang on this, okay? What that means is that all of the Bible leading up to that singular point, okay, all of the law, all the teaching of the prophets, everything great that was accomplished in the name of Jesus up until that point hangs on those two things. Do you love God and do you love people? Uh, my fourth filter for thinking uh, is you are called to reconciliation. Your position as a minister of the gospel is to establish the kingdom and reconcile people to Jesus. Okay? There's a lot of difficult questions being asked at the moment and, and my wife and I had uh, a situation this week where someone... Had, was asking us a lot of questions about what's going on at the moment in the country, and we uh, we had to formulate some sort of response, and so we we did that to the best of our ability. And one of the things that probably stirred me the most was I need to be able to share my opinion on a topic, but also understand that my main role is to reconcile people to Christ. So we put a response that was as uh, concise and as simple together, but put some clear things in there to go, this is how we view people. Because predominantly, our role is to reconcile people to Jesus. Uh, Paul taught this considerably throughout his ministry. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says this, Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the, word, the world to himself, okay? And the last of verse 19, it says, how do we do that? Not imputing their trespasses against them. So we were reconciled to God through the work of Jesus, okay? And then Paul goes on and says, you have the ministry of reconciliation. What is the ministry of reconciliation? Finding people outside the world and not counting their trespasses against them. What's your position in work? To go and love people that are sinners, okay? How do you do that? You wipe the slate clean. Their sins, gone. Are they sinners? Yep. Does it bother me? No, why not? Because my role is to be a minister of reconciliation by not counting their trespasses against us. I feel as a church, we need to be known by how well we forgive people of their sins more so than what our stances are on particular topics, okay? If people don't have a value for us, and I believe that value is created by living these lifestyles, if people don't have a value for us, they're never interested in what we have to say, okay? We actually have to be, and we speak about this regularly, the church needs to be an important part of society that is valued so they actually want to listen to what we have to say. You know, Isaiah 2 says the same thing. People will come to the house of the Lord. Why? Because they value what we have to say. Uh, the fifth filter that I run my thinking through is you can disagree without dishonoring. The 
whole view at the moment that to disagree is to dishonor, I, in my opinion, is completely false. Every married person knows this, okay? <laughs> if, <laughs> you know you laugh at me, I know you're like, all right? If my wife and I, if our marriage somehow stopped functioning because we disagreed over a topic, uh, we'd be in a lot of trouble, okay? Disagreement does not affect the fact that we can still honor each other and still love each other and support each other even though we disagree, okay? If you adopt that perspective, that somehow disagreement inevitably just means dishonor, you'll never be able to actually function in a relationship with other people, okay? So you can disagree with someone. I was lucky enough to have a teacher in life and he taught me about marriage, he taught me about work, he taught me about career and about God. And he said, you can ask any question you like of me. You can question my motivation. You can question my leadership. You can question my choices, my family, my finances. You can question anything you like about my life as long as you do it respectfully. And we need to live that. We actually need to embody that. We can love people well and completely disagree with their views on life because love and how we treat people is not, it's, not, it's not married and tied up with whether or not we agree with them. Otherwise, marriages simply wouldn't work. We can disagree without dishonor. The last point I wanna wrap this up to this morning is, what's your perspective on yourself? What is your perspective of yourself? I might seem a little bit confident every now and then to people that don't know me, but uh, <laughs> I actually believe I'm God's answer for the world. Come on. Woo. You know what the good news is? I also believe that every one of you are God's answer for the world. Come on. That's good news. We actually need to adopt, you know, think about it. Uh, you know, Jesus spoke about John the Baptist and he said, the least in the kingdom is greater than he. Just think about that for a second. He said that John the Baptist was the most influential and, and amazing prophet that had ever lived. And Jesus said, the least in the kingdom is greater than him. So every person that actually made a decision to become a follower of Jesus, Jesus said, you are a new creation. Imagine what we could achieve. Imagine the influence that we could have on a society, on the positive influence that we could have on a society if we actually believed that we were the answer to the world. You know, Paul actually spoke and said, he speaks about the mind of Christ. And he says, the only person that knows what's going on inside going on inside of you is you so the only person that knows what's going on inside the mind of God is God okay and then he says but you have received the mind of God so what that means is <laughs> you might not know that you have the answer but the answers are actually in the mind of Christ which you actually already have the solutions to the problems of the world are actually sitting inside believers through churches in the, in the nation, we actually need to realize that we need to start providing answers, okay? The answers to the issues, okay, 
are hiding inside of Christians because we haven't realized that we have the responsibility to deliver answers to society. You actually have the answers to the world's problems inside of you because you have received the mind of Christ. Why don't you bow your heads? I want to pray for you this morning. (laughs) Wow. Come on, Father, we just thank you that you thought it was a good idea to put your Holy Spirit in a bunch of believers. And this morning we pray that believers across this nation would be encountered by the Holy Spirit to start releasing answers into society. Father, we pray that you would raise a generation of people, young and old, that would impact this nation for good and for God and demonstrate the love and the favour of God upon our nation. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.